Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing so well today, Tim. How are you? I am doing great. We are uh, fresh off another live show in Philadelphia this time with True Crime Obsessed, our friends Patrick and Jillian. Always an amazing, and Maggie Freeling in the show as well. Um, always an amazing time hanging out with those three and uh, doing that live show. I feel good being out in public hanging out with people I like. I got to agree with you on that. We did the show in Boston and that went over really well. This is the follow-up show, the second makeup show that we had, which was previously scheduled in the pre-COVID era of our lives. Philadelphia came out. They represented. It was great. Nonstop laughs. And we're really looking forward to doing it again. We were thinking that this would be the last time, but there was some talk amongst the group that we should do this a little bit more. Not only does it provide like a much needed release, some laughter, but it still keeps the spotlight on Moore's disappearance as much fun as we have during the show. That's all about the interaction between the people on stage. At the end of the show, it's a call to action. If you have any information, if you want to contribute to anything that's more related, they put that on the screen. So there's there's always a message there. Absolutely. And big congrats to True Crime Obsessed for reaching the milestone of 200 episodes. 200 episodes. They're, I remember back in the day when they were just babes in the woods, <laughs> wide-eyed babes in the woods. <laughs> now they're reaching 200 episodes and going strong. So yeah, big congrats on that. And Lance, in this episode, this is not really a typical Crawl Space episode. What we're doing here is playing some clips from a different show on the Crawl Space Media Network. It is hosted by me, you, Lance, and our coworker, Jennifer Amell. And the show is called Dragging the Dead, and it is a comedy that is sometimes true crime adjacent. Correct. And we originally released the first season. I guess you could put air quotes on that. It's sort of a test run. We really wanted to do a comedy show. And there was this idea that had been floating out there for a long time about taking historical figures who have since passed, who are 
typically remembered in a positive light and then in a dark comedic way we shine a realistic light on them so it's a bit of a history lesson as well yeah it's designed to be a bit offensive i guess um because you're sort of playing with what's known about the person and what the public perception is of these people so you're kind of trying to be outrageous at some times you know and that makes it fun and so what we've done for this episode of Crawl Space is we chose our three favorites. Um, each episode of Dragging the Dead, we bring one historical figure and then we try to drag them um, in front of the other two people and we sort of gather together for that. And uh, so what you have is three segments from three different episodes of Dragging the Dead. And we invite you to listen to the entire thing. If you'd like, if you find this funny, you will like the entire show. Um, it, again, hopefully you're offended a little bit, but you laugh. That's kind of the idea. And consider this to be a bonus episode of Crawl Space, something that you wouldn't typically get. We're soliciting some feedback on it, too. If, if you like it, let us know. If there's some things that you think could be improved upon, let us know. Well, we won't do it, but just let us know anyway <laughs> and enjoy it. You know, like you said, go go back and check out the other episodes. It was a release for us, and we'd like to do more of it. We just want to make sure we're on the right path. And Dragging the Dead will be more active on Twitter, so follow them at Dead Dragging. That's on Twitter, and uh, there'll be more updates there once we get a little bit deeper into season two or whatever we want to call it. You know, we maybe had the preseason. This is the preseason, and now we're into you know regular season, and then we'll go into the playoffs and win the uh, win the championship <laughs> for uh, Dragging Dead people. And check out the rest of the shows on our network at crawlspace-media.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Dragging the Dead, the only show that aims to speak ill of the dead. I am Tim, back here with Lance and Jen. What's up, legends? What is going on? It's, It's been too long. It's been far too long since we have reconvened to drag dead people. What is that accent, Lance? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's Friday. I'm feeling loose. To reconvene. Reconvene. I'm, I feel like I'm in dark shadows. <laughs> <laughs> but for now, we're dragging dead people. And in this show, we each brought a person with us and the others don't know who they are. And so it's going to be a surprise. And we're going to we're going to rebut whoever is trying to drag some dead, some poor dead person. Did you say but? He said but. <laughs> <laughs> it's a full rebuttal. Full rebuttal. So we're left to our own devices. For example, Jen will bring somebody to the table. Tim will bring somebody to the table. And the respective people will have to just rely on their own knowledge of said person or uh, Bing right here on the spot in real time. Sometimes a painful process. It sure is. Um, all right. So who's up first? Jen. Jennifer, let's hear it. Who you got? My person was a silver screen star. In the 1930s, a documentarian in the 1940s, and then an underwater filmmaker in the early 2000s. Jacques Cousteau. Incorrect. James Cameron. Incorrect. Grace Kelly. No. Grace (laughs) Kelly. It is not Grace Kelly. (laughs) Werner Herzog. A woman, 
I'll give you that. A woman did something in the 40s? Yeah, I know. It's fucking crazy. All right, who is she? It is none other than the horrible Lenny Riefenstahl. <laughs> it's on the tip of my tongue. Oh, the German film director. Yeah, Helene, Bertha, Amelie, Lenny Riefenstahl. I'm so glad that you had her full name memorized. I, too, would change that mouthful. Brilliant artist. I mean, you've kind of buried the lead here with that. She she did revolutionize um, documentary filmmaking. I will give her that. Uh, but she was one of Hitler's favorite. You may not recognize her name, but she was the filmmaker behind the legendary propaganda film Triumph of the Will. I'm still trying to find her online. How do you spell this? Lenny. Never heard of it. That one must have been a uh, a stinker, a, a real clunker at the at the box office. So most footage that you've seen of Hitler and the Nazi Party came from Triumph of the Will. Any shots you see of Hitler in his car driving around Nuremberg, people cheering him on, shots of him below waving to the crowd, flags, Nazi flags flying, people marching in formation. All Lenny Riefenstahl. You say Nazi propagandist, and I say historian. I say keeper of the records. I say without her, we wouldn't know how bad things were. Good point. And we don't know what side she was on, truly. Uh huh. She could have been playing the long con. Just gonna choose choose my virtual background here. Jen, I'm sorry. I think we should skip this segment. Oops. There she is standing right next to Hitler. I think that's a deep fake. I mean, I stand next to a lot of people I don't like. So Lenny Riefenstahl got her start in uh, movie making as an Alpine film star. She was actually um, like a kind of the first action star. She did all of her own stunts and like climbed mountains and stuff. And then she made a film called Das Blaulicht, where she played some kind of like fairy in a mountain where everybody hated Lenny and they like chased her up a mountain. And she was like the guardian of some kind of magic stone or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, everyone knows that translates to the blue light is a classic. Classic. You've seen it. Oh, my God. So many times. I have the poster. We're having a viewing party. So after after um, World War II, Lenny Riefenstahl was obviously lambasted for her, um, I guess, being what they call a fellow traveler and for her work. Uh, propagating the Nazi message of hatred. So she said she was disgusted that her footage was used in Triumph of the Will as propaganda. But uh, I don't know that you that you didn't know was propaganda if you are using imagery in this way. You're either a genius or you're not. Yeah, I get what you're saying there that, hey, she was smart enough to do these things, uh, very talented, very driven and artistic, and it would be kind of tough for her to produce these propaganda style pieces without realizing the propaganda behind it you know what maybe maybe she really did want to preserve history perhaps but i'll draw your attention to another incident <laughs> okay so so this has been a running theme throughout lenny's life she's like claims that she didn't know about the holocaust which is a claim of a lot of, a lot of German citizens and a lot of like high-ranking officials within the the Nazi party that they didn't know that they were actually killing Jews like who did know that they were killing Jews and other people in Germany who 
knows? But okay, so in 1942, at the height of World War II, uh, Lenny was busy working on a film called Tiefland. And um, I'm not entirely sure what the plot was, but it was basically about some Spanish gypsy type people. But she went to a Salzburg concentration camp and she got a bunch of Romani people out of this camp to be used as extras in her film and then put them back in the camp. They were later exterminated in Auschwitz. I thought we were going Schindler with it. And I was like, okay, all right, I see what's happening here. And then she just used them as extras. Well, did they get a credit? Are they on IMDb? I mean, yeah. I mean, at least they she could have left them a legacy in that way. But I, I choose to focus on how great of an artist she was overall. I mean, she was just such a a career woman. She was an athlete. She, like you said, filmmaker. I mean, gosh, if we cancel her, what's next? What are we going to cancel Roman Polanski and Woody Allen? Certainly not. They're men. <laughs> Why? What's going on with Woody Allen? <laughs> exactly. He just makes amazing films. Nothing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And he's alive currently. Right. He's not dead. Definitely not. He's untouchable. She um, was actually taken to court in 2002. She led a, a long, long life. She was like lived to over 100. And she was like, I didn't know. I didn't know all this shit was happening. I was busy making my movies, even though I was complicit in this like horrible thing that happened. But in 2002, she was taken to court by the Roma people when she was 100 years old. And she said that she didn't know that the Romani people would be taken to Auschwitz. And she got away with it again. She was not indicted. I guess they couldn't prove it. They just let her keep making her underwater uh, movies about fish. So there you go. This segment was totally useless. It's all just speculation. I mean, it's proven in a court of law. (laughs) And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. 
Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. You want to talk about someone disturbing. You want to talk about blood. You want to talk about sacrifice. Look no further. I'm talking about the worst son of a bitch in the history of history. I'm going to love dragging this piece of shit. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) There is a popular, legendary even, character in pop culture that is apparently based on this person. Vlad the Impaler. Nailed it. From Romania in the 1400s, though, I think his, his homeland is often confused with Transylvania. We are talking about Vlad Dracul, otherwise known as Vlad the Impaler. And uh, some people think that Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula, was based on Vlad the Impaler, which it likely had some, which it likely was. Do you guys know anything about impaling and, and what this guy actually did to tens of thousands of people he is estimated to have killed 80,000 people through various means this includes about 20,000 who were impaled Eh, they probably deserved it I mean what time are we talking like 1400s he wasn't impaled (laughs) well it is particularly gruesome and Vlad, old Vladdy boy, he uh, he did it in a way that was more torturous than, you know, he was going out of his way to torture people. He would stick this pole, it was either wood or metal, and he would stick it through the rectum or vagina, and the exit wound could be near the victim's neck, shoulders, or mouth. And in some cases, the pole was rounded, not sharp, to avoid damaging internal organs as it passed through your body, therefore prolonging the suffering of the victim. And then, and then, the pole was erected, raised vertically, to display the victim's torment, sometimes for days before they died. That doesn't sound pleasant. I mean, how else are you supposed to lead a people back then? I mean, there's no social media. This is just like their version of social media. Today, he would be called Vlad the Troller. (laughs) Or the murderer. But you're probably not wrong in that he did do PR stunts. One PR stunt he had was this 20,000 people who were impaled and displayed outside the city of Targoviste. And the sight was so repulsive that the invading Ottoman army, after seeing the scale of this forest of impaled bodies, 20,000 of them, the Ottoman army decided uh, this wasn't worth it. And they, uh, they, they headed back to uh, Constantinople. So that seems like a pretty effective leader to me. He avoided a war. How many more would have died if he had not done that? Well, it is true that some people credit him for bringing order and stability to the land of Wallachia. His rule was undisputably vicious. He had such a sick sadism about him. He, he just loved impaling people. He, he wanted to impale everyone he could. There was one time he was walking around with an envoy of diplomats that were supposedly, you know, working with him. This was in 1459, and he said, you guys, take your hats off and bow to me. Show me that respect. They said, no, our religious beliefs are going to keep our hats on our heads. You know what Vlad did? 
Impaled them? He had their hats nailed to their heads. Oh, even better. I mean, creative? Creative? He didn't seem too creative, though, because he was impaling all these people. It's like, why choose that method? Didn't he get bored of impaling so many people? Wouldn't he be like, guillotine for this one? I think it was sadism. I think he might have been the inventor of the assembly line. Well, it definitely wasn't Ford. Just line them up, impale, done. In Vlad's own words, in a letter written to a military ally in 1462, he says, I have killed peasants, men and women, old and young, who lived at Ublutsika and Novoselo, where the Danube flows into the sea. We killed 23,884 Turks without counting those whom we burned in homes or the Turks whose heads were cut by our soldiers. Thus, your highness, you know that I have broken the peace. Jesus. Two sides to every story here. He's just rubbing it in. He's like, yeah, I think I declared war. (laughs) Well, I mean, you got to give him points for being cheeky. And you know what? Everyone needs a good sense of humor when you're in the middle of all of this. What is it? It's going to be death and destruction all the time. He's like, he's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure they're dead. Wink, wink. I think this was all like an elaborate defensive strategy because if he didn't impale others, they would impale him and his people. What about the servant who was uh, serving him dinner on a box that was full of one of his enemies uh, that who was left in there to starve and dehydrate to death? He was Vlad was eating dinner. He was to be served among this forest of impaled bodies, and his servant sneezed, guys. He sneezed. You know what happened to that guy? Impaled. Yeah, bingo. <laughs> <laughs> well, A, Vlad probably was a little bit nervous about uh, germs because I heard that his... Uh, his old nickname was Vlad the Germophobic, and so I can understand that. Also, truly a, a, a person who can appreciate irony in the literal real-world sense. I mean, someone's starving in the box that you are eating on top of? I mean, that is just, it's irony gold. I definitely appreciated iron. And irony! And there were rumors that he used to dip his bread in the blood of his victims Um, It is unconfirmed whether that's true or not. But based on the level of sadism that we've got that's confirmed to this point, I'm going to just go ahead and say that's probably true. Maybe it's very tasty. I'm actually wondering why he just didn't drink the blood straight out. Why is he even like using the bread to dilute it? He's like the virgin queen who used to like kill maidens and drink their blood. Oh, Elizabeth Bathory. Yeah, yeah. In order to like stay young or whatever. Maybe it was just, you know, nice regimen to, to keep him looking fresh. Well, thank goodness he was eventually killed. Was he impaled? After ruling for about 20 years, he was not. But he was killed in 1477 in battle, January 10th. And he was quoted as saying, death is but a door, time is but a window, I'll be back. Oh, shit. Just kidding. That's Vigo from Ghostbusters 2. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like something he would say. I mean, but he kind of was. He did come back like in myth and in popular culture. I mean, we haven't even tackled... The fact that we would never have Bram Stoker's Dracula, a masterpiece in the English canon. We would never have that story if not for Vlad the Impaler. I agree. And I don't think there could even be a fictional version of this story that compares to the real life horror uh, that Vlad the Impaler uh, inflicted on that region. Yeah, this guy seems way worse (laughs) than Dracula ever was. 
He was like kind of sexy. This guy, yeah, he's he's after your blood. True hero, someone who didn't mince words. Actually, words were probably the only thing he didn't mince. Everything else was pretty minced. But uh, yeah, if I was alive back then and I had him leading me, sign me up. Sign me up for battle. I'm going in. I'm grabbing my stake, and I'm going in. I'm 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 heading in with my spear, and we're gonna do some impaling. All right. Well, I already put the picture of my guy behind me um, because you probably don't know who he is. Looks old. He does look old. He is the reason you all are sheeple. This is the man who is basically the father of sheeple. When you become a parent for the first time, how many vaccines do you give your child? All of them. 14 is recommended for your children. How many do you think this gentleman behind me, this gentleman, I'm sorry, this animal behind me has developed? 16. Zero? Eight. Eight of the 14 vaccines. Okay, what's the problem here? I, I mean, these are these keep us safe. This is a scientist that most people don't know of. He's the father of the modern day vaccine. Any guesses here? Mr. Vaccine. Dr. Vaccine. Maurice Hilliman. Maurice Hilliman. That is exactly right. This is the father of the sheeple. This is the man who is responsible for so many things in this world. I don't want to be told when I'm going to get a vaccine. I don't want to be told how to go about my life. This man ripped away your personal freedoms. A true, a true maniac. Okay. I think I see where you're going with this one. <laughs> I just, I think you've picked a really difficult one for like this current era. Lance, to attack a vaccine developer. Let's, let's really unpack this. Let's get into this, Lance. You can say that this man single-handedly saved millions and millions of lives simply because he developed over 40 vaccines. Or you could say that this man contributed to the invention of Pornhub. What? I'm going to put this out there. This man, by determining that chlamydia was a bacterium and not a virus, as previously thought, and could now be treated with antibiotics, he thus, in turn, encouraged the gross sexual proclivity that is directly responsible for Pornhub. <laughs> what are you talking about? How is this related to porn? A little bit of, of stretch there. How is it not related to porn? Now people just want to go and fornicate. Yeah. <laughs> That's why people want to have sex. <laughs> Without consequence, because now they know if they get chlamydia, hey, I'll just take an antibiotic. Done. Okay. Lance, <laughs> you are against vaccines? I am against anything that infringes on my personal freedom. Okay, Ooh. so that would be masks too? If, if Maurice Hilleman told me to wear a mask, I would tell him where to put that mask. <laughs> on his face. It would be the opposite of his face, Jen. Okay, well, this is a very timely one. I see how you really put the ball in our court uh, on this one. <laughs> well, at least some percentage of this country will be behind you. I don't see how this is even a contest. I felt bad bringing him to the table. He's such a, he's such a vile individual. <laughs> okay, let's talk about Hilleman. Mr. Mr. Maurice Hilleman, who was uh, a wonderful... Uh, yeah, a doctor, a wonderful doctor. He was born in Montana in 1919. Yeah, a one, the the core, the breadbasket of this country. He understands how uh, Is it? how. <laughs> well, maybe they make bread there. <laughs> I don't think so. 
you know, he he was he had uh, a bunch of siblings too, which was uh, which was pretty amazing. Um, he was very very influential on them, and uh, and they were on him. I'm sure. Yeah, well, he came from a severely broken home. His his mother uh, and father were divorced. He had a stepfather, and and that stepfather was the person who really encouraged him on this reckless journey, this reckless scientific journey, this this god ignoring journey of his to go ahead and and predict pandemics. Don't tell me that his prediction of the influenza pandemic in 1957 that came from Hong Kong was anything that benefited us. It really just put the entire country in this state of frenzy, this panic. If anything, he should have downplayed it. Mm, Because we know how that worked this time around. Well, you know what? Maybe a little herd immunity is what everyone needs. Exactly. That's why you have vaccines. (laughs) Herd immunity. And I don't want to hear stories about how he was the first person to discover that viruses can actually go through a change, this change, this uh, antigen change. I don't want to hear about this because it's completely irrelevant. The energy that he could have been putting into something like, I don't know, teaching his children how to go to church or maybe sitting down and watching a, a Walt Disney film, you know, really just becoming the American dream. Instead, this guy's a disruptor and really needed to be silenced. He actually developed more than 40 vaccines for human and animal health. He was a lover of animals. Well, even your uh, your boy Ronald Reagan loved him. He uh, presented him with the National Medal of Science, the uh, the nation's highest scientific honor back when uh, the leaders of this country actually believed in science. That's because the, all of those people on the left, all of those leftists were pressuring Reagan to recognize somebody. So they took someone who was completely discredited and gave him a medal. Wow. Hill, Hilleman was also a very profane man. And I don't mean that he was profane in what he did. I mean, he, he used a lot of profanity. And as you know, I am extremely, extremely offended by that. It is an affront to God. You've become very religious today, Lance. Well, you know, Bobby uh, Gallo, of course, um, Robert Gallo, co-discoverer of HIV, the virus that causes AIDS, of course, he one time said, and I quote, if I had to name a person who has done more for the benefit of human health with less recognition than anyone else, it would be doctor. I added the doctor. It would be Maurice Hilleman. Maurice should be recognized as the most successful vaccinologist in history. End quote. Basically saying STFU, Lance. Well, you you guys can have your way with this. But you know what? I'm not one of the sheeple. I'm not one of the people who will just go and fall in line and get that needle in my arm. Who knows what's in there? I mean, he basically was was inventing a way to, to trace you, to track you, your every step. He basically invented Facebook. <laughs> well, I only hope everyone listening understands how crazy you sound right now. <laughs> you know, when you first said sheeple, I thought you were talking about the scientist who cloned Dolly the sheep. That would have been a good one. This guy, however, is beyond reproach. Oh, stop it with that. He, he was a, a tyrant in his labs. He would demand that the people who worked under him live up to some irrational expectation. He would fire people, Jen. (gasps) You guys fire me every day. And today, Jen, is no exception. Pack your stuff.
our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.